Welcome back to Rise of the Rule Lords Unchained. I am your Rock'em and Sock'em Rule Lord Pete, and I am excited to be able to talk to you about robots in Pathfinder. But Pete, you say, haven't you heard about the Automaton, the Android, even the Pobbit? And yes, yes I have, because I just told you about that. But I'm not just talking about an ancestry that you get to take. I'm talking about getting to play a full-on Megazord, one of the robots from Pacific Rim, even a Gundam wing. All of those cool giant robots that get to punch monsters with big swords and big guns. But these rules are going to be Pathfinder to E compatible. I am talking about MechFinder, a Oh, wait, let me go up to the tagline. I am talking about MechFinder, a universe of mech and magic, whose Kickstarter is going on right now for the next couple of weeks. And I am glad to have two of its creators on the show. First is James Beck, co-founder of Eldridge Osiris Games and co-lead writer of MechFinder, and PJ McGaw, co-lead writer of MechFinder. How are you guys doing today? I'm hyped. I'm so glad to be back on the channel again. This is like third appearance. I'm incredibly excited. Yeah, I think you're my most frequent guest. Hey, not complaining about that one. <laughs> and this is your first time, PJ. That's right. It's my first time and I'm really excited. I see you all the time out there doing your thing on like Twitter and et cetera. And I'm like, Haha, now I finally get to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I get to talk to you guys because this is a really cool looking project. I got to do some playtesting for it a couple of months ago, I want to say. And oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun with it, uh, but there have been a lot of developments. So uh, I am just like any other backer where I am looking at this and I'm trying to decide, is this a cool thing that I want to invest in? So the first thing that I want to ask you all is, in your own words, what is MechFinder and what makes it unique from the base Pathfinder 2e gaming? I think MechFinder really allows a threat level to be scaled up by a lot more than we've seen. We're very used to world threats, but this brings that scale upward by a lot more. Mm -hmm. If you are a fan of kaiju or you know any kaiju adjacent storytelling, like Godzilla or Pacific Rim, as we said, you'd feel at home in MechFinder just because of the scale. Everything is 10 times the size that we normally have it at. And you get to tell some really cool new stories that you might not find in Lancer or in Starfinder or the various other mech games that we look to when we were writing for various bits of informa uh, information about different games or just in general that we've played before in the past. What about you, PG? What's your pitch for it? So off the bat, one of the things that I find the most exciting about Pathfinder 2e in the TTRPG marketplace is its high level of individuality and the customization and personalization of Pathfinder 2e is what makes it so exciting. You can have two people with the same class and you're not going to have the same build and it's not going to get boring. And now I want you to imagine taking that and then adding even more levels of customization on top of that. And it goes beyond just mechanics and the crunch that we love to fight bad guys with and the numbers that make our brains happy. But it also gives us role-playing possibilities. The world or the galaxy, if you will, is so big and so vast. The mechs can look like anything and the things that the tools you use to build those mechs can also enhance it. And you're not just playing the mech. You're not just playing in the galaxy. You're also playing the pilot. So you get different stories and you get to have this interesting, hyper-customizable, cohesive, 
total as both player-friendly and GM-friendly. And on top of all that, who doesn't want to play a Megazord, a Gundam Wing, a Kaiju Fight? Who doesn't want these awesome things? And there's still rules for magic. So if you're like, oh, wizards are the best class, you're wrong. But if you want to say that... <laughs> no, you're you correct. Still- <laughs> you are correct. Don't don't believe this propaganda coming from PJ. Wizards are the correct class to play. I will sling wizards hatred all day long. Sorcerers or Magus. That's it. Druids are also cool, but you can still do your wizard thing in a mech. So there is no limitation to what you can do, except for course rolling good. So come join us out in the deep space. I think it's going to be a good time. I think you're both wrong. I think the correct choice is human fighter. You know, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) If it's in 2E, I'll give you that one. That one is a really fun build. So I noticed on here that it's Pathfinder 2E compatible. That's what I was expecting from Elder Josaris. Then I also saw the 5E tag. I get that. But when I read down there, saw that it is Tales of the Valiant compatible. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I could go ahead and speak to that. If you play 5e, you can use the Tales of the Valiant content that we're going to be writing for it. The reason why we did this, and I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I feel like a lot of us developers kind of know the reason why, which is the OGL crisis. If we released it under the 5e, it would have been underneath an OGL once again. And after the whole debacle that went down early this year, which I know feels like forever ago for a lot of us, it it was something that we really wanted to avoid again. Mm-hmm. We wanted MechFinder to be underneath the Orc license, so anybody who wanted to use the content from it to create their own thing is more than allowed. In fact, heavily suggested. And we're very excited to see what fans of the game come up with for their own games or for their own storytelling. But the main idea was to keep it in an adjacent 5e system that would not compromise the values of Eldritch Osiris games, which we support open tabletop. We support sharing rules wherever possible and just taking the best products available. So we kept it in Tales of the Valiant. It's very adjacent to 5e as it's Cobalt Press's stuff, which means they want it to be backwards compatible with all of their 5e books. There's also another system called Everyday Heroes, which is based on 5th edition, which has the Pacific Rim title underneath it. It has a Pacific Rim supplement. And we're like, hey, we have a lot of kaiju in this book. Surprise, surprise. If you wanted to perhaps use a stat block from there, you can go ahead. It's all going to be underneath the 5e umbrella for the math. We're working with a really cool freelancer to help us out a little bit. I know how to write for 5th edition. I was actually my first podcast on here was talking about how to convert from 5e to 2e. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to make sure everybody felt at home. The 5e and 2e share an adjacency in terms of the types of sto- storytelling it's trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And so it just made sense to hone in for both people who just want to play games. That's all we've always been about. And as somebody who plays various systems week to week or is needing to develop systems like MechBinder, as even though it's based on there was a lot of work the the version we're on right now is 11 drafts in and pj and even you pete when you did the play test we're seeing very bare bones of it as each iteration came along i say originally it was supposed to be 10 pages long and it was never meant to get to this point but it it took a lot of work developing it took a lot of writing a lot of collaborating a lot of long nights but that was the idea of why we put in tales of valiant and market as a 5e supported product because we want you to 
take it and put into if you I don't know why, but if you really wanted Star Wars 5e or level up, I think it's called Advanced 5e, and you still use the content from MechFinder, we love that. We support that. Go play whatever's the most fun for you. That's always been our stance. Even though we market ourselves as a Pathfinder 2e people, we love writing for Pathfinder 2e. When it comes to the end of the day, we're all just a bunch of gamers who just love telling stories, and that's it all will ever be for us. Now, is this initiative also part of something else that you talk about on the Kickstarter, the setting neutral alternative plug and play? Sounds like almost three different systems that you're writing for? Yes and no. You're very, very close. And I'm more than happy to keep talking about this. So setting, so Snap, which is what you described, setting neutral alternative plug and play was a co-creation by one of the co-authors of MechFinder named Andrew Hooper, who does, who was busy tonight and couldn't make it at the time of the recording. But it was the idea that you can take this setting and put it into any game you want. We wanted to make it fantasy inspired heavily, but we're not writing it so it needs Galarian to run or or the packed worlds. We wanted it to be, hey, I really love this planet called Convinus where there's a bunch of like junk all around and there's like bionic animals that walk around. But ah, I really enjoy Lancer. I don't want to give up Lancer for that. Go ahead and use the planet. Yeah, we encourage that. It's meant to be that you can pick a concept you really love and port it into it. PJ worked on a few factions. If you really like the idea of the Trailblazers to be in your enhanced mecha versus kaiju game, go right ahead. That's all Snap will ever be. We hope to, in the future, depending on the success of the Kickstarter, which we already are funded at this point with stretch goals and such, we want to be able to keep giving support to other systems. We do have it for PF2E. We do have it for uh, 5. We would love to do a Lancer supplement or a Starfinder first edition supplement now that starfinder 2e got announced <laughs> totally not yep. didn't throw a wrench in the starfighter <laughs> document we were working on no why why would it <laughs> that would be crazy i get it i i am super hyped for starfinder 2e but i do know from getting to talk with the developers that stuff like ships mechs those probably will not be right out of the gate so having this available by the time that starfinder 2e gets released i think is going to be like a huge boom in people's favor who want to go right from getting to be in space to getting to pilot robots in space using the new starfinder 2e rules but also starfinder 2e is going to be compatible with the remaster and you are coming up with this content about three months early from when the remaster gets released so is this only going to be good for pathfinder original 2e or is this going to be remastered compatible definitely remaster compatible we love us a remaster in this house all the changes we've seen and we heard if you check out the demo right now that's free on the page we did our best to make sure it was remaster compatible we know it's technically still under quote-unquote ogl it won't be for too long as soon as that the orc license is signed off on and we're good to use it paizo has asked us specifically not to and we want to respect the wishes of paizo once that license is out it gets changed right over that if you yeah like i was saying before with the play test the, the demo that we have on the page there is no reference to alignment there's no alignment on any of the creature stat blocks we tried to use the most updated names that we could find for certain like spells and such of what was formerly magic missile will be force barrage and we just want to support the remaster as much as possible but like the remaster is designed to be if you wanted to use it with the original two east rule set which still very very strong i will never complain about the remaster just adding new things i haven't really seen it take away any 
anything so substantial like it invalidates any other book they've ever written yeah it's going to be remaster compatible any feats we make will be remaster compatible and that's going to be the general idea going forward excellent we have it established that this is going to be a good system for many different styles of play, including the remaster. So I think that this is a safe thing to invest in. But let's talk about what makes MechFinder unique. Tell me about the mechs. How do they work? PJ, you built a character recently, and you you didn't use any tools to build it. From what I understand, it was from directly from hand. I feel like you're the most qualified to talk about this as not only a developer for the game, but one of the, I think, the person who's playtested it arguably the most out of anybody else. Yeah, I'd love to. And then as someone who definitely you know, took a lot of that yourself, I want to throw that back to you when I'm done. But uh, yeah, someone who put a ton of hands-on with that, the mechs themselves are a fascinating custom creation, like I said earlier in the podcast, or in the recording, so that when you're making your mech, you you have this amazing thing to keep in mind, both who you are as a pilot and what you're in as a pilot. So the mech itself, you can give it four legs and make it look like a centaur. You can make it hover. And there are mechanics that not only give you those abilities and how they help you out, but you can also create in your head the fabrication image of that. In fact, Pathfinder has their iconics, and so do we. I got the extreme pleasure of creating an iconic named Oz, who is a champion, and he represents a few factions in there, and got to build his mech and what that's like, and invent a weapon called a gun lance. So if you want to stabby stabby while you shoot shoot, you can do that, and I highly recommend it. It's great for champions who can't close the distance in time. Oh my god, that's my own personal beef. But yeah, you you literally, it's almost like every time you make a character, you're customizing the ancestry almost a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then as you're leveling up, you're getting these points, at least right now at the time of recording, where you can then use these points to update your mech with new feats, new physical abilities, more HP if you want to. You're not just leveling up Oz, the level 10 champion. You're also leveling up the mech that he's writing in and what that means for you as a player. The mech side alone, it's going to give everyone opportunities for crunchy, cool, unique, OC mech don't steal possibilities. And I think they're very too many to count how many possibilities there are there. I think what makes the mech part so unique is the fact that it is your class. We took a very interesting approach to this at the time of this current draft that is going on. I don't want to like say, God forbid I get something wrong in the future and future me looks back at this podcast and goes, what in the frack are they talking about? <laughs> the idea is that your your mech is your class. It is your champion, your wizard, your barbarian, your thaumaturge, and so on and so on. The pilot is represented by a unique class called the pilot class oh my god shocker i know but the pilot class is a little bit meant to be more of a generalization it is built to be more of a skeleton that you attach parts onto and so you could have a very champion feeling pilot while outside your mech because we want to support stories that have both people inside and outside of their mech and then they hop into their mech and all of a sudden that mech is the divine champion warrior like we were talking about with oz or any one of our many iconics that we've had the great pleasure of getting art for over the last few months and i think that's what allows for really cool stuff as p as pj was saying you got to spend more points to build up certain things if you wanted to focus on certain things take more unique abilities and i really wanted to give like this armored core kind of feel to it like you go into the garage you upgrade certain parts you maybe swap some stuff out and the mech creation is that ideal system for us 
it is the oh hey i leveled up and i reached level five i can spend some mech points respec the mech out possibly even change his class if you like if we wanted to incorporate that retraining mechanic from 2e that's already in there and apply it to the mech apply it to your character and just give you an additional level of customization and a level of detail that we felt made the mecha genre so unique and why so many people keep coming back to tell stories in that genre. So tell us about the ABCs of pilot and mech creation. What is someone going to do when they sit down at this book, as they sit down with this book and are trying to figure out what they want to play, how they want to design their mech as. This is pretty, I, I in my opinion, pretty straightforward. And if you're a Pathfinder 2E character, people who's played somebody, let me try that again. If you've played Pathfinder 2nd Edition, you're going to recognize a lot of similar stuff. The ABCs of pilot creation, very similar to the ABCs of character creation in Pathfinder 2E. You have your ancestry, your background, and your class. Your class is automatically going to be the pilot class, but we have subclasses that call out for certain classes. If you are a marksman you probably focus on a more precise character like a rogue swashbuckler investigator anybody who uses like precision damage for example and you create that character first you then go into the next section which is i currently have it dubbed in my head this is not gonna be the final name a build a mech kind of like a build a bear <laughs> where you have 14 points that you start off with and various different parts have a different cost and it's a very closed economy but you can then customize it by spending points on, okay, I want this hull with this mobility, this processor, and these limbs. And you get to play with that. And if you have points left over, we have systems, which are additional stuff that you can tack on your mech to give it another unique ability. So if you spend 12 points and you got two left over, you can go buy a system. Get A lot of it will look familiar if you're used to Ancestry feats from Pathfinder 2nd Edition. We based all the systems on the same structure and progression that ancestry feats follow and we just wanted to keep giving that vibe and that feel of that progression as it goes on if you wanted to casually keep building the size of your mech you could start with a large at level one and by level i believe nine you can go to a huge and at level 17 you can go all the way up to gargantuan we wanted to give you the feel that you are in a colossal machine we remind you of this constantly in the book of this is not like titanfall there's a very rule if you want a titanfall field don't worry about that but this is the you are godzilla you are the size of godzilla you can destroy a city so be careful with what you do and with magic intertwined in all this the possibilities we kept giving were endless i think one of my favorite was actually from a recent game we did over in the lost caravan rpg twitch channel with pj's character oz was he gave him the shielded allies system which grants the shield other spell and i don't remember the other one off the top of my head but it gave two arcane spells for you to project onto other people and to protect yourself with and we wanted to constantly remind you that yes this is still fantasy we still want you to have your kanrasu kanrasu nephilim weapon thaumaturge pilots x y and z you could, you could have a lot of fun with it you could still have the backgrounds you chose we wanted this to be compatible with every single upcoming pathfinder 2e book any third party pathfinder 2e book i know pete you interview people a 
about Pathfinder 2e products all the time. So we wanted this to all be compatible within itself. And we are giving guidelines for that creation. Mm -hmm. Our opening chapter on the mech classes, which kind of goes over each of the mechs for Barbarian. He's like the one page descriptor. gives a sample build of Barbarian. We open that chapter with, if you want to try out this class, like the Terret Master from EOG, go right ahead. These are like the narrative things you should think about when using a third party product. We don't even list our own book, like our own classes in there. We, we wanted to even keep it that level of consistency of, hey, Paizo releases a new class. We didn't even write the exemplar or animist yet, you'll notice, <laughs> isn't in there because we can't predict everything. We started writing this in January. We didn't know there was going to be a new, two new classes until a few weeks ago. We're, hey, we're on the same page as you. Book, we can just make people like the book. We can just make another one with that in there. And then we're set. It's like, oh, hey, you want to see what it like what it's like to have the animus as a mech? Hey, mech finder too. That kind of thing. <laughs> we can always build too on top of Cyber that. Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your two favorite classes and what sets them apart from the classes that we already know and love? Okay, PJ, you go first because I it's going to take me a hot minute to think about all the different classes and which one I love more than the others. Oh, man. Well, a few things because you were saying some stuff and I feel like there was some really exciting things to piggyback off of. Your mech can become gigantic or whatever. And because of that, there's a new size category that James has put in this book called Enormous. If you're like, okay, well, I'm gigantic. I'm the size of a Tarrasque. What's exciting about that? Oh, it's because you're still not the biggest thing in the galaxy. There's still something a little bit bigger than you. And ancestries as a pilot is so important that there are feats for your mech so that you can take there's a really cool Kenrasu or in Oz's case an Oriad feat that you want to use on your mech. You can access that through your mech. So you're not losing that out. And as for the different classes and how they work with build a mech, now you got me saying it. I think what's exciting is that if you want to play, say, a traditionally squishy caster class like a Wizard, let's just go with the wrong class. Let's just say Wizard. I'm going to hit this line all day. Come at me. Come at me in the chat. <laughs> Is that if you get a Wizard, you can still make your mech a tanky boy. A tanky, tanky boy that's full Wizard, no stops. Nothing like, oh, I have to take a level in fighter so I can wear armor. No. You can have at level 15 over 200 HP with how you built your mech, and you can still function like a fully-fledged Wizard. And if you have, say, an elf uh, ancestry in your pilot, you can still have the fun things that elves can do as a wizard, the added cantrips they can access and the increased mobility that they can have as long as you take the feats for it. But also, you can also just make your mech super fast. So it's this really great way to find a class that you love, potentially see something where you're like, I don't know if I like that kind of blind spot, and then build around it. A four-legged champion with a gun lance. I don't have to worry about being away from the target. I can rush right up to it, shoot it in the face, and now I'm here. Now I'm the front line. Or a shadow dancer sorcerer who can hover and teleport almost at will and ruin James's games. It's another great example. It was PTSD right now. That was great. Right if you now, haven't seen the right VOD, hard. you know, eventually when you can, Lost Caravan RPG, watch James have an absolute meltdown. It's priceless. But you know, as an Ahsoki pilot, you're like, oh, if I'm an Ahsoki sorcerer, I'm going to have some mobility issues, not in a tank that's basically a perpetual hovercraft. 
So there's a lot of fun things you can do with classes built in and the unique stuff that uh, James and crew built, like the barrier mage and the the healing gun. And I'm going to turn it over to him. Yeah, shield projectionist archetype and the way of the healing gun gunslinger. So it sounds like PJ's favorite class is champion from how much I, he's been gushing about it. <laughs> it's just the best of all time. Not wizards, no it's champions. No, no arguments from this side of the aisle. Big champion supporter. My favorite class, I think it, in Pathfinder 2e, has been the gunslinger to be playing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I like the ranged character. I, in all my games, end up being the guy who stays in the back and just like, don't get close to me. Don't get close. I, I swear to God, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I swear to God, I will. And with playing a way of the sniper gunslinger for a long time, for a little, about a year, I just had so much fun with it and so when coming into MechFinder when writing for MechFinder I knew I was going to write at least one new gunslinger way and like we indicated before that's way of the healing gun which if you're thinking yes you can shoot your allies it is better if you do at times to shoot your allies with stuff than it is to attack somebody support gunslinger is something we saw with the initial gunslinger playtest that kind of got moved away from in the final draft which is no problem by the way I still love me some gunslinger michael j sayer and i have talked at nauseum about how much we love the gunslinger <laughs> and we i wanted to keep that support going and keep showing some love to it so i would say my favorite class to play in mech finder because it hits so many cool narrative tropes is the gunslinger it it just packs that fun punch and i feel like wave the healing gun brings that awesome support from the 120 foot range that an arcubus has or my favorite the jazelle Now, one of the really cool things about this that I'm looking at is that you are not just creating new classes that people can plug and play. You're also creating your own universe. So tell us a little bit about that. You've got factions, you've got new planets, a ton of new monsters. The one that really sticks out to me is this Tyrannosaurus swarm, but... (laughs) Listen... (laughs) Uh, I'm giving I'm giving them an it. applause right now. They deserve this. I, I can explain that one, I promise. <laughs> Yes, we are, in fact, building a a brand new universe for you to play in, a brand new sandbox to roll around in. We talked about this with the setting neutral alternative plug and play as Snap gets fully developed. I say fully developed as if it wasn't already. So yes, the universe is called Arvaxum, which is a universe that suffers from threats of giant creatures a lot. It's a very common theme because we wanted to keep the idea that no, just because you're a pilot does not that mean you're basically a walking god there are things bigger than you there are things that can destroy you and you our vaxim brings a lot of really cool stuff that i worked with aubrey knots on which i know you you work with aubrey all the time pete and pj and then aubrey came in was helping pj was also one of the first people literally at the same time as aubrey came in onto the project to help out flesh out the universe and what i asked for originally was like a few paragraphs turned into a few factions turned into a few planets and the setting kept getting built we created an inciting incident for why everything is 
the way it is right now in the universe with the, a planet called Lorcus that fell due to a bunch of fiends and their uses of a new metal called Animus Ore, which is essentially hell metal, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. I don't want to get too far into the weeds with it. But we wanted to give you this fully fledged setting that you can base your games in or around. Every planet comes with a few plot hooks for you to like wrap yourselves in or create a one shot around or maybe start a campaign in. We obviously I asked PJ for factions, which they so graciously worked on. And there was a lot of really cool concepts that we wanted to bring in. And with keeping Snap in mind, we had ideas that can be translated into any other universe if you are daring enough if you wanted to and with the companies we wanted to keep that around the same idea so we have companies that are mega corps like runic robotics which covers arcade magic to primek which covers the primal to even uh grizzgorp and rankus which are the martial characters and so yeah pj worked on the factions i feel like he's probably the best one to explain what exactly they are and how they play a role in this very wide universe I really like this one poster in here. Fly free or pilot harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, Listen, that, that's I, a huge that's a huge <laughs> shout out to James. That one they they put that together. <laughs> I, I wanted to parody the I think it's Live Free or Die Harder, which is a name of a Die Hard movie. Yeah. But I wanted to wrap it around Mechbinder a little bit. So I saw that it's like this little art piece of just a bird flying free. I'm like, that's it. You know? <laughs> Live free or pilot harder is the perfect slogan for the trailblazers does it make sense no how can one pilot harder but they can't they just I, it's like it's like that it's like that uh, that tiktok audio go around from that one will ferrell movie it doesn't make any sense but it's evocative it's so hot right now or whatever exactly it. well let's let's start with that the trailblazers like when i was writing a faction i wanted to say okay what is the story behind this faction? What is the tale this story is, or this faction is trying to tell for the player? And then from there, how can I blend that into, and what's the identity that this player is going to add to their identities by being a part of this faction, right? So starting with the Trailblazers, the whole point is that I wanted like something like the Pathfinders, something like the Sarfinders. I wanted that centralized, good collective, which is funny because the collective's a different one. And so the Trailblazers were like, where like the greater good of the galaxy we're we need you to pilot harder like they want to help the world and they were very like we we get funding from different planets we have people all over the place and then some big dire threat some secret enemy was off in the deep space and they're like we're gonna we're gonna get all of our power we're gonna go out there we're gonna take care of this guy and then they all vanished and they've been gone for about 20 30 years no one knows where they are Every single trailblazer that wasn't at that event has since kind of lost social, I don't want to say clout because it's got such a bad feeling in my mouth right now, social standing. And the Artinas Vigilantes and other actual cop units or guard units have filled the gap of the trailblazers being gone. And they've been like, you can't keep doing this. This is vigilante work. We don't care if it's for the greater good. It goes against our contract. So we're going to fight you. So these trailblazers who are still alive, still holding on to the code, have been basically running from the law for 20, 30 years. And somewhere in some dusty outpost, just 
some fanboy who's been clinging on to the oath he made 30 years ago gets this transmission for the first time in like three decades, the Trailblazers are coming back. And so now he's excited. And now there's this energy of like, everyone who's been fighting for dear life, it's being rewarded. Like we're going to come back. We're going to, we're going to go do the thing. And all of our loved ones who've been gone, they're also going. So it's like, when you do this, you're going to fight for the greater good, no matter what. That's going to want to tap into. And there's this hope for you. There's this hope that's not here, but it's on the horizon. So trailblazers are very much like the good person who never stopped doing good. Like your street level vigilantes and all that kind of stuff. The collective is a weird corpo cult. Basically, I structured it like, like an org chart almost. Like a company org chart. And the idea was that everyone is there. They don't have a name. They don't have a face. They're just a member of the company. And the collective's mission statement is, was it peace through efficiency? They're going to make the entire galaxy efficient. And these, you would be, if you're a pilot in the collective, you're an agent of that mission. And then you come to find out, these are just secrets and rumors, air quotes. They're totally not true, air quotes. That the collective is actually being operated by a bunch of mutant bees or some sort of mutant alien insect hybrid. And they secrete this addictive honey substance that they reward their higher ups with. It gives them powers. It also makes them horrendously mutated and connected to the addiction of the honey. So it's like the more successful you become, the more addicted to success you become and the less likely you are to stray into a more humane outlook. So if you're going to be playing this amazingly complicated collective person, you have to ask yourself, at what point don't the ends justify the means? At what point are you battling an impossible addiction? At what point do you learn the truth and you accept it? Or do you go through hell to rebel against it? There's a built-in story for you that you get to be a part of by choosing that faction. Yeah, we see why, now why I had PJ come on to the project, right? <laughs> like this, this exact reason why. <laughs> Homie, this uh, is two out of the seven. I got I stories for let's, days. Let's, let's I got really meditative. Council of Banners are my favorite. <laughs> I love, can I nerd out about this thing that I built called the Council yeah. of Banners? Absolutely. All right, all right. So I'm not going to get too much in the weeds on this. He says, probably will lie. But it's basically, there was this planet I had to make up because I did I didn't know where I could put them, so I made one up called Rylar, and I'm really proud of it. So if you see the planet Rylar, go for it. And on this planet, there were seven siblings, and I made sure to make it gender neutral because I didn't want to ascribe that to them right now. If later we have to do that, cool, do that. But right now, I want you, to, I want them to be whatever you want them to be in your head. But these seven siblings were basically like sons of a great monarch, the queen, the father's gone, the country, the planet's in ruin, and then an evil creature rises up very much in that old romantic Arthurian legend. But this becomes a night, it gets something like a, try it again. Sorry, I changed my, my anxiety meds and it is all over the place right now. Let me <laughs> take that back though. And this becomes basically an activating event. The seven siblings learn dark secrets and have a different takeaway from what happens. They're all scarred in a different way. And they all have these humongous, very powerful war machine mechs. They don't know what to do with. And so they're struggling rebuilding a nation now that the horrible fighting is over. And then they finally come up with the idea, let's take our seven giant death machines. Let's create seven different banners, all remembering our home banner of Rylar. And we'll have one of the brother or one of the siblings be for that order. And then everyone's going to go off and have a different banner, essentially a banner house where they will live by the code that they are, they have forged from this horrible event. And the one that I also like that I had to reach out and get James's help with, because I know they would have way more knowledge about this than I would. And I love the excitement that they had was the order of the golem. So yeah, James, you want to talk more about the order of the golem since you helped me create that? 
Oh yeah, the Order of the Golem was a such a fan dream for me as somebody who loves golems in the classical Jewish sense. I'm very Jewish for the, those who are unaware. I work at a synagogue, been raised Jewish my whole life, and the idea of getting to base an order all around helping those who lost something, you could kind of bring it back to the original golem meeting, which golems were meant to help people who are in mourning. And was bringing that semblance of peace and through love in the universe. And the Order of the Golem was that ideal for me. And they follow semi-ritualistic practices that you'd find in Golem, like the story, like the letters on the Golem's head. As you progress through the ranks, your duties of the Order of the Golem, you gain arcane markings on your head, both on your mech and on your head specifically. When you reach the last letter, you're done you've become the golem you've become the protector you're always supposed to be and you can go retire if you want you keep going if you want the idea is through action through the wanting to spread protection you are now a protector and a keeper and that was the idea and i'm i i really like that i was given that opportunity to bring the golem back to its original jewish historical roots it was something that i've always been passionate to do anytime i write about golems in any sort of fantasy setting was bringing that all together. Now, is there any mechanical differences between each of the factions if someone chose to be in the uh, Trailblazers compared to Collective compared to the Council of Banners? I know right now, as of right now, there isn't a deeper mechanical change or, or difference yet. Maybe there's more work to be done, which I'm sure there always is. I would love to say down the road that there could be archetypes and things faction-based archetypes for those to wear not just the trailblazer tee on your lapel, but wear it on your character sheet and how different knights of the, the banner houses could have special abilities. I think it would be super freaking cool to make an archetype for the order of the, the golem and see how that could really pay We're off. We're definitely a looking sense. into doing archetypes as time goes on. The I don't want to say for sure every single order of the collective seven get an archetype, but you might see a council of banners archetype that represents all of them, which might have specific access feats, like how AP specific feats sorry adventure path specific feats have require certain access to get into or the pathfinder society feats require access to you must be at x level within it and there are eventually going to be there for that kind of support but i don't want to confirm hey go pick up the collective archetype right now because i'll be on I'll be real it's, it's not written yet i don't want to lie <laughs> and just be like yeah we promise it's there and be and then stress get myself more stress absolutely same i don't want to put any words in James' mouth. I don't put any words in their mouth or any other writers. It's It was an idea that we had and we liked it, but also there's so much content in this book already. Like they said, like this was supposed to be like about like a couple, like 10 pages. And now you're going to be getting like a hundred pages of stuff to to do and to read and to pull from and to creatively inspire you. Hey, confirm. It's 154 pages right now in layout. The not done layout, by the way. It, some pages are just chapter six 
bestiary and the opening line is we wrote creatures <laughs> like so some pages are more filled out than others but since we hit funding our goal is to get it up to at least 200 more t- the idea is to get to up to 250 and you mentioned this earlier and i meant to apologize and talk, give an explanation for it the mutated tyrannosaurus swarm which is a creature stat block we are adding new creatures for you to play with to represent the higher level threat you are in and one night i was playing a game called exoprimal which is all about mechs versus dinosaurs and i'm just like wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if you fought a bunch of normal sized very very big in our scale as humans we're very small compared to a t-rex yeah <laughs> uh, but when you're in a mech that's 50 foot tall maybe even taller that's not that's it's not that big it's, it's, it's for us it would be an ant maybe in, in terms of scale humans are really bad at scale that was the other thing we learned while writing try picturing a thousand feet go right ahead you're not going to be right it's much bigger than you think it is but the idea is the mutated tyrannosaurus orb is a bunch of tyrannosaurus this is the lore for it basically a bunch of tyrannosauruses got into some radioactive waste and kind of just evolved and mutated and now they all travel together in a giant sort of clump not really fused together but they keep very compact and tight so for the average person that would kill them straight out flat i don't care who you are you're gonna die essentially if you encounter this thing but you know Avec, it's now a threat you could deal with that threat you could fight it off but yeah the mutated tyrannosaurus swarm is the idea of a bunch of tyrannosauruses got mutated through radioactive waste or through magic we provide a few examples about how one of these could be made sure. uh di- somebody cast dinosaur four and then they all escape we could go in so many directions with this <laughs> and so we have a few very unique creatures in that way we wanted to represent the various different threats one of my favorite is a bombarder bombardment ship swarm which are a bunch of spaceships that are like think x-wings we're not designing them like x-wings but i think that's the closest thing for individual scale we can all have in our heads collectively that are like grouped together to take down a mech think of that one scene in a perfect example that one scene in that really old movie called empire strikes back i'm kidding not the old movie part i'm just close i'm you at that point it's uh, 40 years you know, old it's old i still love it when they're fighting the adats somebody i swear to god is gonna come and actually they're ADA, they're adsts not the point they're fighting the adats and then they're all like swarming around them to try to stop them that's the same kind of idea tactics that these bombers are having or we have a few of those uh we have a new plane of existence called cyberalis or better colloquially known as the cyber plane which feeds as a web that it, it branches over all the other planes of existence and then feeds into them connecting all of them together so people can go to the cyber plane to travel adjacent to hell or the material plane or the fire plane or whatever one that you felt was the coolest to go to at the time and on that one we have new creatures such as the ancient titan cyber dragon <laughs> which we have art for looks really cool so cool. not the biggest cyber dragon on that <clears throat> plane by the way we have an npc called angris who is i describe lovingly as if elon musk could rule over a whole plane of existence so picture twitter on a broad scale god and our, help. yeah god help us all right <laughs> nothing works it's all rebranded every week it's just it's just a hellscape 
it works really good for the setting that we wrote for Savaralis. And the that, that kind of idea gets played with. And so yeah, you got new threats. You also got some basic threats that you will notice. Your hacker max, your bombers, your shield projectionist, guardians, etc. etc. We we have 50, 50 plus creatures already currently written, and we're always looking to keep writing more. Especially they I made a joke to my friends, and I will say it again. For every time I die in armored core six, that is one more creature that goes into the book. And then I made it to the baitless fight. And if you played armor core six, you know exactly the fight I'm talking about. And if you make it to that point, you die a lot if you're not really decked out for it. So I died too many times and I got tired of writing creatures that I said, okay, has to be like every five, because I'm not getting past this one. I eventually got past the boss. And then the sea spider happened. And then that number is now at 10. <laughs> well, that's why we have 154 pages, because most of that is just armored core revenge <laughs> monster blocks. If I die that game, more content gets added to the book. Okay? So if anything, yeah. I'm hearing that you guys need to make me play the game more often, because then I write more. <laughs> As a, as a GM, I will never say no to more monsters or a bigger bestiary. I personally hope that you keep dying in that game, that you never will. <laughs> I wish death for you because I love your content. So let's talk a little bit about who is helping you with this. Your last book, Monstrous Beast, famously to me, you incorporated a lot of Paizoverse into the creation of it. So let's talk about who else is working on this, sing their praises, and what they're contributing to this. Of course, of course. We have a lot of people that we're bringing back from Monstrous Beast that we asked to come back because of their design work or because we felt like they just fit in really well with the team and they worked really well with us. But we also wanted to play around with some new people, see what people had to offer and see different responsibilities they could take on. So besides PJ here, who has worked on the factions and various creatures and has playtested it, we have the lovely Aubrey Knotts from Goblets and Gays and Queen's Core Gaming. She has been ready what happens right before you become a pilot so the different training academies you can get into to become a pilot we have andrew hooper from the lost caravan he helped set up the initial universe and was one of the co-founder co-writers of the book itself a huge supporter of it lost caravan and eog our other cyrus games are officially teamed up for this project so you're gonna see both of our labels on the cover and he's been helping flesh out the universe with some threats that you might find, some very unique ones, as well as some new planets. He's been focusing on that one a little bit more. And then we asked for some help over, this is going to be a long list of credits, so we're just going to bear with me. I'm sorry, but I got to get all the names out there. We asked for some help when coming to writing adventures, so we hired Pathfinder Infinite author Simon Hunter to come in, one of the best adventure writers I know. And he wrote an add-on add that is that is done, uh, that you can actually pick up on the Kickstarter page called unearth your metal that brings characters to convine us and makes them explore around gets to play around with some new creatures that we have written for there that one's really cool we asked pathfinder infinite author john holmes to come in and write a bunch of relics so you can find all sorts of cool new relics in the book such as the artificial intelligence which was one of my favorite relic paths we asked archon also from pathfinder infinite you see a lot a, a little theme going on right now don't you mm -hmm. to come in and help with the pilot class he's 
one of my favorite class designers that I've, I've ever had the pleasure of working with. We have a bunch, so we have a bunch of people from Pathfinder Infinite. But as in for the broader names you might be familiar with, we've asked Rue Dickey, who works at Paizo, to come in and come help as a stretch goal. We have the distinct honor of having somebody who got hired by Paizo during the creation of Vecbiter. So technically, I can say a Paizo developer was a big part of the book, which is <laughs> Joshua Birdsong. You might know him as in Profit. He is now an official designer. We're so proud of him over at Paizo. So you you can see his name all over the design team, such as the War of the Immortals playtest. His name is right there underneath everybody else's on that initial intro. We have the lovely Aki as part of our next stretch goal. Aki also from Goblet's Gaze. We have, oh my god, this one nerd called Rise of the Rule Lords. I think his name's Pete. I don't know. He's part of that stretch goal too. I feel like you might know him just a, just a little bit. Uh, and we got people like Alexander Eldritch, who I've worked on a bunch of independent projects with. He's helped me create some stuff and he's been an absolute team player. He's worked on the Botanical Bestiary line. He worked on, he helped work on Gardner's Gardner's Guide to Gaming because we're both friends with the lead for that who's Matt Cavanaugh awesome dude uh, I man I just know so many people now <laughs> but we are keep bringing back more and more people that you might recognize such as Waffles Maple Syrup who EOG sponsors every week with for their outclassed outcast and outclassed streams we have just so many people from various walks of life that worked on so many cool projects together and yeah we look forward to keep adding more paizo freelancers we keep adding more people hopefully more people from paizo themselves depending on their schedule we did ask a few people to come back and they were like yeah but starfinder 2 is eating up my life right now i'm like you know what fair i can't i <laughs> if i had a rule between the two which one's more important i'm gonna probably have to say starfighter second edition is but yeah you're gonna notice a lot of people if you are adjacent to the sphere in the universe if you are familiar with the content creators you're gonna recognize some really cool design work some really unique ideas and we've been talking with them they've all been really cool i always have to give it up for the co-authors pj here aubrey and hoop for kind of just putting in the extra work to really make sure that this setting felt like it was unique also somebody who isn't not yet on the cover but we are going to update it is victoria sullivan who's worked with eog for such a long time and one of the best lore keepers i know you might know her as gloria over at deadly 8 she's our lead editor she is what a champion she has been for not only MechFinder, but for being an editor for putting up with all the jabes at 2 a.m going oh my god i had an idea for this new creature type and what if we put it on the cyber plane and that we made things go boom okay cool cool it vix okay james calm down calm down love the passion i love it bestie but let's think about this before you go write it and it's been that kind of dynamic it's been really really fun to work with her and i i would be i wouldn't be here talking about it if it wasn't for the lovely eldritch osiris games pushing it from that 10 page document where it's like basically play pretend everybody to 154 pages that it is right now it is incredible we got to sponsor so many cool people when it came to the project and and yeah it's been a real team effort it embodies everything eldritch osiris games stand for and has been an absolute pleasure 
But yeah, like that one nerd, Rise of the Rule Lords, hits at the 7K mark. I don't know who he <laughs> is, but I heard he's a cool guy. Here he's going to work on more kaiju monsters and not bite off more than he can chew with the brain. Not a whole subsystem this time? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, so tell us where can people join the Kickstarter and where can they find more of YouTube? I will tell them where they can find the Kickstarter and then PJ, you can give your little thing. You can find the Kickstarter on EldritchOsirisGames.com. You can also go directly to the page. This is a long URL, so you can just go right to Kickstarter, look up MechFinder. I promise it's like one of the first things that appear. Technically, you can go to Kickstarter.com slash project slash EldritchOsirisGames slash MechFinder. However, if you don't want to do that, you can follow, you can find us on Twitter. You can go to our, our website. It's we're all going to be, it's all going to be there for you to quickly go find it. Technically, you can go to bit.ly slash and capitals KS MechFinder, capital M for MechFinder. That also links you there. But I recommend just going to the website. It's got a ton of information. You can get the old free demo on top of the new free demo. But I would recommend the new free demo because it's much more updated because I wrote the old one in May. It is no longer May. It is, it's been many months and many, many drafts after that. That's Go check out the Kickstarter. It's absolutely, I hope we hit the, God, the Rise of the Rule Lord stretch goal. Hopefully by the time this episode's out. I don't know that. I still don't know who that nerd is, but Kaiju sounds cool. <laughs> what about you, PJ? Yeah, you can find me all over the internet at PJ McGaw, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and of course, Blue Sky. PJ McGaw, if you see my face, you know you're in the right place. I'd love to give a huge shout out to Nat20 Productions. As of this, we have officially closed down. We have had our last charity game and our last goodbye episode. And if you follow us anywhere at Nat20 Productions or Nat20 Production on Twitter, we'll give you an update on when those two episodes, the six hour long charity and the goodbye episode, will be on our YouTube, which is also YouTube backslash.com. Sorry, YouTube.com backslash Nat20 Prods. You can also find me at QCG, that's Queen Court Games, as well as a project I've been working on for a long time, which may benefit from this in the future, at a little channel called Alt Haven, formerly Q Times. So you can look me up. All of it there, and as we continue to do new stuff with MechFinder, I will continue to tell you the good word of what James and everyone at EOG and myself are, are putting into what's going to be such a fun book. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for coming on. This is an exciting project. I love throwing my money at both Paizo and Eldridge Osiris Games. I already backed at the special edition because I'm a fancy boy. And uh, oh, the I cover's like so gorgeous. <laughs> oh my god! As soon as we got it, oh. Oh my god, our lead artist killed it. All right, I'm so proud of him. I'm sorry, I just had to. I'm just I'm so sure. good. <laughs> An additional place where you can go to find more details about the Kickstarter is in the show notes, where I'll have a link directly to it. And I hope that you, if you're listening, will go and back it. It's a cool project run by cool people doing cool stuff. And I always like to support that, especially in the third party space. Uh, so thank you guys again. Listeners, make sure that you go follow me on Blue Sky at ruler2e.com. I still technically have Twitter, but I'm not doing that much anymore because I don't support Nazi hellscapes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's based. We we support that in this community. Yeah. That, that's that's good. <laughs> you can find me at, at ruler2e.com to find more episodes, and you can 
can email me at ruler2e at gmail.com for anything. If you want to talk about project of your own, if you just want to ask me a question or just send me fan mail stuff, I've gotten a couple of those emails and they always make me feel super duper good about what I'm doing. But anyway, remember until the next Kickstarter, don't let the don't rules let the rule rule you. Rule you. Yeah, yeah, that's it. One take. All we need. <laughs> 